Amen. You may be seated. He is the great I am, isn't he? Can we tell this choir and orchestra thank you so much? What a blessing they are to us week in and week out, and what a gift they are. They minister us. They love on us each week. So thank you so much, choir and orchestra. Um, How many of y'all have ever pulled a muscle before? How many of you have um, ever worked out before you did any stretching at all? How many of you ever have done something just physically stupid before? Well, yesterday morning, Matthew, our youngest son, was playing in a what they call a turbo baseball game. So uh, he started on the pitching mound yesterday at 840. It was 45 degrees. Somebody lied to us when they said it doesn't get that cold in Florida. Uh, so Matthew's on the pitching mound at 845 yesterday morning. But before Matthew stepped on that pitching mound, one of the things Matthew had to do, he had to get warmed up. You see any baseball player before the game, you see all the guys are doing their little sprints. They do their stretching. They go on the field and throw a while. As Matthew's even got a full routine of a baseball pitching thing that he does to get warmed up, to go out there and throw. So when he steps on that pitching mound, uh, you've got to be warmed up. You're ready. I mean, some of us guys, when you watch NFL football this afternoon, you watch college football, you know, when you watch football on the way, before they step on that field, before that first snap is done, those guys, they got to get warmed up. They got to kind of get their body heated up a little bit. When you and I do a workout, we either go to the gym, we're doing it at the house. Before you just jump into that workout, I mean, you're warming up your body. You're, You're getting it ready to be used. I watch my Mary Beth who does ballet, and she'll be a part of the service tomorrow night. But I, I watch her stretch, and because we're getting ready. But let's admit, how many times has it been time for the sermon, and your brain's not warmed up yet? How many times is it time for the Word of God to be read, to be studied for the day, but your spirit's just not warmed up yet? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quiz today, and we're going to warm up our brain. We're going to warm up our spirit. So when, when we dive in God's Word, the, the Christmas challenge, I believe that God's really placed upon my heart for you this week, that you're ready. So are you ready to get warmed up a moment? Oh, let's try. You ready to get your thinking and your spirit warmed up this morning? So, so I'm going to ask you some true and false questions. I'm going to ask you some other questions along the way. So uh, just kind of respond back. I want you to give me your gut level answer. I mean, the moment I ask a question, I want you to give an answer. Question number one, true or false? The Bible tells us that Mary rode on a donkey. True or false? Answer all right, who thinks true? The Bible tells us Mary rode on a donkey. So, how many of you say it's false? The Bible does not tell us Mary rode on a donkey. 
You're correct. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that Mary ever rode on a donkey. I mean, we don't ever see it in the scripture. It doesn't tell us that. But we know uh, that they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Does anybody know how many miles is it to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem? How do we mean miles? A lot? 90 miles. Write that down. 90 miles. It's a 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And we know during that time, if you're a very, very wealthy person, you would ride on a horse or you might be in a chariot. Well, were Joseph and Mary wealthy? No, so how did the poor get there? Well, most of the time they would walk. And they could have maybe rode a donkey. But, but the Bible never tells us that Mary rode on a donkey. Question number two. Are you ready? Are you thinking? Get warmed up a little bit. Question number two. What did the innkeeper say to Mary and Joseph? What did the innkeeper say to Mary and Joseph? There is what? Only one problem. Can you show me a scripture where it talks about the innkeeper? Uh, does anywhere in the Christian story, is the innkeeper ever mentioned, yes or no? Uh, no. Question number three, and y'all know this one. This is really simple, but we're getting warmed up, just getting our minds ready. How many wise men came to see Jesus? How many say three? Do we really know? Does the Bible tell us how many wise men came to see Jesus? No, we don't know how many there were, but we know how many gifts did they bring. We know they brought three gifts. Question number four. Were the wise men kings or astronomers? What, what song do we sing? We three kings from the what? Uh, were they kings, yes or no? No, they were astronomers. They weren't kings. As a matter of fact, write this scripture down. It'll be kind of fun. Write this down. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. These guys were astronomers, and I believe they knew... They, they knew that Old Testament scripture. Numbers 24, 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. I mean, so they knew. So they were astronomers. They studied the stars, and they saw that happen. Numbers 24, verse 17. Question number five. When the wise men brought gifts to Jesus, they brought it to his birthplace. Did they bring the wise men? Did the wise men bring the gifts to the birthplace? All right, write the scripture down. You're getting some little history here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child. And when they had what? Come into the house. They saw a young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him, and they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So about what age do you think it was when the wise men got there? Two, three years old, he's kind of a toddler. You know, but let me tell you what, in my house, we collect nativity sets. You heard me say, I got nativity sets where? But I'm going to tell you, in every one of our nativity sets, the wise men are there. 
It is not a sin to put your wise men at your nativity set. You know, some people really get carried away about that. It's, it's not a sin. You don't have to put your, your, the rest of your nativity and your wise men halfway across the room and say they're still traveling. We get it. I, I think we get it, don't you? We get it. All right. How are you doing? Who's got all the answers right first? Who's answered them all right? All right. Thank you for your honesty. All right. Number six. Better listen. When the shepherds were in the field at night, the host of angels came singing. Glory to God in the highest. True or false? Why do y'all say false? Does it say anywhere in the Christmas story that the angels were singing? It doesn't say they were singing. Let me read it to you. Write this down. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and verse 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and what? Saying. They weren't singing. They were Saying, as a matter of fact, it's a cool thing. By God's grace, we'll have a, a tour going to Israel in 2020. And one of the very first things we'll do, we'll get off the plane. The first thing we'll do, we'll go to the shepherd's fields. And you'll be right in the field where those shepherds were and the angels appeared. Incredible moment. Last time we were there, Amy and I were there. And we are in the shepherd's fields. I mean, we just got there. And all of a sudden, all of these animals start coming around. It was the most incredible Thing, but they were saying, not singing. Number seven, which animals were present at the birthplace of Jesus? Somebody tell me, what animals were there? All right, what animals do you have on your nativity set? Cow, who got cows? All right, who's got an elephant? We have an elephant. Who's got some sheep in it? Who's got a donkey or two? Camel. Who's got a deer in it? Anybody got a pig? A chicken? They're not. Are the Jews going to have a pig? Hello, maybe that's going to eventually get to you. It wouldn't be kosher. They couldn't have a pig. How many animals in the Scripture does it mention? Zero. Not where it's mentioned animals. You know, it's amazing how, as we get warmed up, it's amazing how the Christmas story, we can do all that. But here's the key to it all. Here's been our Christmas challenge of 2018, has been our challenge is this. That in the center of this Christmas, that we are planted in the person of Christ in the manger so we can experience all of His power. In the middle of all of these things, we want to make sure we're planted in the Jesus so we can experience His power. 
So here's the goal of the day. I want you to write this down or write it down in your mind. Write this down in your heart. Write this down in your spirit. Here's the personal motto I want us to walk out of here with today. Make God with us your personal motto. Go to the book of Isaiah. We've been there. Go back to Isaiah chapter 7. Why does God with us need to be our motto? Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and you're going to see at the very end of this scripture in verse 14. I want your personal motto this week, God with us. Some of you have individual mottos. Some of you, I could walk up to you and say, what's your personal motto? A lot of us have personal mottos. They're, they're short, they're simple, they're easy to repeat, they're easy to say. Some of you, as a family, you have a personal motto as a family that y'all kind of stand upon. One of the personal mottos that our family has always had, my dad gave me and I'm giving it to our family. One of our personal mottos, it's easy, it's quick, it's simple, is just this, stits don't quit. I can't tell you, Mom, how many times I heard my dad say that to me. We'd be dealing with something difficult. We'd be dealing with something that was an endurance race. And my dad would look at, hey, remember, stits don't quit. So that's one of our personal mottos, other motto that we always heard in our house. For we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. We heard that all the time in our house, other statement we had. For me and my house, we are going to serve what? The Lord. Some of you have personal mottos, you got statements for the family. But for all of us, I want this next week our personal motto to be God with us. Let me show it to you. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We've been spending the whole month in this verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Write this down. Number one, write down that the person of this baby, Emmanuel. Emmanuel simply means what? God with us. Let me show it to you in the New Testament. And we're going to look at quite a few verses of Scripture. It's going to kind of remind some of us that have been around a little bit more season of Bible drill. How many of y'all ever did Bible drill growing up? You know, Bible drills, when you stand a certain way, you hold your Bible a certain way. Whatever you do when you do Bible drill, don't let your finger slip over the edge of the Bible because you're cheating. I mean, you had to hold your Bible just a certain way, and they would just they would tell you the passage of Scripture, and you would have to open up the Bible, find that passage of Scripture as fast as you can, put your finger on, and step out. I mean, and they would close it, and you would step all back. They'd give you another passage of Scripture, and your hands would be just right. They would check your hands are right. They would do it. You open up the Bible, find, and you point to it, and you step out. But how many of y'all ever stepped out, but you really didn't have it? I mean, how many ever times the pastor ever told you to turn to a certain scripture in some book of the Bible you didn't even know existed in the first place, more or less to know where it is in the Bible, and you're just looking at the, yeah, pastor, it's reading, I'm just, make, I'm, just make, I'm just making this up like I'd really know where I am. 
Well, something we really got to know. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Luke chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 8 through 12. Why call him Emmanuel? Emmanuel, God with us, why call him that? Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now, we're, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Those words, greatly afraid, when you see an angel get a message, you always say, greatly afraid. I would be greatly afraid, wouldn't you? I mean, he always tells them, don't be afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why do we call him Emmanuel? God with us. And Luke chapter 2. What are we seeing? God with us. Will you just take a moment and realize how profound of a moment this is in Luke chapter 2 that we can say, Emmanuel, that was stated in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Now in Luke chapter 2, God is with us. I was reading a devotional this week from David Jeremiah, and the devotional that David Jeremiah had, it had an article from the Family Christian Almanac. Listen what this article said. It just ministered to my heart on Tuesday morning. It says, there is nothing like the consciousness of Emmanuel for men that are fighting the battles of life. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life. I don't know what you're going through this Christmas season. But there's nothing like being able to stand up. There's nothing like being able to sit down. There's nothing like being able to get on your knees. There's nothing like no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what life is thrown at you, there's nothing like knowing God with us. Listen to what it says. Give me of all the mottos, God with me, all that I might write, oh, on my child's cradle, Emmanuel, God with us. What would it be like if we put on our children's beds or our, our grandchildren's bed and we put somewhere on their bed, God with us. That article, the Family Christian Almanac, goes on to say, Oh, that we might write it on the threshold of every child's entrance into the wedded life. Emmanuel. God with us. Oh, that we might write it on the garments that my children wear. So that they should see the motto, Emmanuel, God with us. Could you imagine every time you, you picked out your clothes? I don't know about you. Do you ever get tired of picking out your clothes? For you moms and grandmas, do you ever get tired of picking out your children and your grandchildren's clothes? 
But could you imagine every time you go pick out your clothes, you pick out somebody that you're taking care of. Every time you pick out their clothes, every single piece of your clothing says, God, with us. It says, oh, that I might write on every book and every task. Oh, that it might be inscribed on every fear and every sorrow. God with us, always and everywhere. I would have the motto, God with us. I put this statement in. I want this to resonate in your heart. We can endure difficulties in life because God is with us. This week, as you're going to celebrate Christmas, some of you are going to be, di- you're going to be celebrating with a very difficult relative. Some of you are going to be celebrating Christmas with somebody that did you wrong. You're going to be celebrating Christmas maybe in a spirit of mourning. You're going to celebrate Christmas through a season that's difficult. I want you to know we can endure difficulties because God is with us. Emmanuel, I don't care what you're facing in life. I don't care what you're doing in your life. God is enough, and Jesus is Emmanuel. Look what it says. Turn a couple pages over. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Why can we say God With us, Emmanuel. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And if you're writing your Bibles, you might write this. This is probably the greatest Christmas verse in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is probably, out of all the scriptures for me, this is the the greatest. This is kind of like the golden nugget of Christian verses. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, God with us, what does that mean? There is a huge, huge theological statement that is said in the beginning of verse 6. In the beginning part of Isaiah 9, verse 6, there are two statements, and it is so profound, that it's so profound, we read it so quickly that we miss how profound it is, and we miss how our theology is built upon it. We miss the importance of the first two phrases in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Let's read it, and these are two foundational truths for us. Emmanuel, God with us. For unto us a child is born. Right next to that, for unto us a child is born. That is talking about the humanity of Jesus. For unto us a child is born. That is revealing to us and telling us the human side of Jesus. It is telling us that Jesus understood pain. It tells us that Jesus understood what it was, understood what it meant to be tempted. It means that Jesus can identify with us. 
the humanity side, but look at the other side. This is profound. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's the deity of Jesus. Why is that important? Here it is, all of these years written ahead. It is telling us, here is the Jesus. A child is going to be born. A son is going to be given to you. But when he comes, he will be God with you. He will be fully God and fully man. All the same time, the God-man is coming. I mean, that's what this text of scriptures is saying for us. The child is born. The son is given. I mean, this is where we build our theology. This is where we stand upon. And whatever you do, don't take a second to think that Jesus began in Bethlehem. Let me ask you a question. Was the beginning of Jesus in Bethlehem? Let me give you a couple of scripture references and write these down. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it talks about the Word, and we know the Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life that was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I want you to see everything that God is, Jesus is. Everything that God has, Jesus has, because Jesus is God. Unto us. A child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Emmanuel, God, is with us. Let me give you a couple other scriptures. Write these down. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, In Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2, verse 9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Can I tell you, Emmanuel, God is with us. What I want you to do, whatever you're dealing with in your life, right over it, God is with us. In just a moment, we're going to have the invitation. And here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm calling out to do. Come and commit. My motto is going to be God with us. What does that mean? Look back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I've got three minutes and I'll be done. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I don't know about you, but our government's messed up. Amos says our government's not messed up. Mm, your head's in the sand. Right next to that, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Right next to that, write down Revelations 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. You need to write that down. Does anybody know what happens in Revelation 19, verse 11? 
Revelation 19 verse 11 is the second coming of Christ, the second advent where the second coming of Christ and you and I as Christ followers are going to be riding on that horse and we are going to be coming back with him. And guess what? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Have you ever told somebody, when you put, put your shoulder into it? Have you ever told somebody, put your shoulder into it? Quit being a wimp and put your shoulder in it. You'll say, hey, my shoulder's here for you. You can come and cry. I got some news for you. The government shall be upon the shoulder. Look back in Isaiah 9, 16. It's going to pair up for us four statements of who this Jesus is. This God-man. Four statements going to give us, and we're going to talk about them just real quickly in two minutes. Here we go. For his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That's really the first one that's paired up. Do you really know, want to know what it means when it says wonderful counselor? I, I love it in the New American Commentary uh, set from our Southern Baptist Convention. Listen to what it says. It says it means he is full of everything we need. When I saw that in the commentary, that he is our wonderful counselor, that means he is full of everything we need. He is a wonderful counselor. Aren't you grateful he's not a distant counselor? Aren't you grateful that he's not an angry counselor? Aren't you grateful he's not an apathetic counselor? Aren't you grateful he's not a lazy counselor? Aren't you grateful he's a careless counselor? Aren't you grateful that he is a wonderful counselor and he is full of everything we need? Can I say that again? Aren't you grateful that he is a wonderful counselor and he is full of everything we need? Do I need to say that again, church? God is with us and he is a wonderful counselor and he is full of everything you will ever need. That's good, isn't it? That's what the text scripture says. Look at it. It gets even better. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, Look at the next two words that are paired together. It says, mighty God. You kind of got to go back to the Hebrew language and you kind of got to dive back into what that really means. It's not saying that God is a mighty warrior. It's not saying that God has much strength. When it is saying that he is mighty God, it is saying that Jesus is God. He is saying he is the mighty God. You say you cannot compare him. You cannot give that name to Moses or to Abraham or to David or to Jeremiah. There is only one that can be said. He is the mighty God, and that is Jesus. He's come to us. Emmanuel. God is with us. Wonderful counsel. Mighty God. Look at the third that is paired up in verse number six. He's the what? Everlasting Father. As a matter of fact, did you know it's a very rare thing in the Old Testament to see God described as Father? As a matter of fact, you only see in Deuteronomy 
32, verse 6, Jeremiah 3, 4, Jeremiah 3, 19, Isaiah 63, 16, Isaiah 64, 7, Malachi 2, 10. It's a rare thing to describe him. But here to say, he is the everlasting father. When I say father, our minds can go to a variety of things. Some of us are kind of handicapped because, I mean, coming from different types of fathers. Hey, with my four children, I am far from being a perfect dad. I am so far from being a perfect father. Look at me, men in this room. But the greatest thing I can do as a dad is to point them to a heavenly father, to an eternal father. The scripture says, this God that is with us, he is the everlasting Father, let me give you two scriptures. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Hebrews 1 3 says, Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of the person upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels. And he has by inheritance attained a more excellent name than they. Colossians 1 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominion, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and all things consist in him. I've got some good news for you. First Baptist, this God, he is an all-present God, and he is here for you. He is the wonderful counselor. He's full of everything you need. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. But look at this last of these four couplings in this verse number six. He said, He is the Prince of Peace. This is the least controversial out of these four statements. But he's the prince of peace so we can have peace with God. For without Jesus, we can't have peace with God. And my first Baptist family and friends and guests, I've got some great news for you. God is with us. And we can have peace with God because the peace of God lives in us. Are you warmed up? Are you warmed up? Just not intellectually having an incent, but is your heart warmed up to say this Christmas, my personal motto is God with us. He's full of everything you need. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. 
He is the Prince of Peace. So here's the invitation. Why don't you come in just a moment and get on your face before God, kneel before Him, and say, God, my motto this week is going to be God with us. Some of you, you need to come and bring the problem that you're facing and write, God with us. Some of you need to come and write over that family member that's difficult, God with us. What's the Lord asking of you? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, this is an incredible moment. That we can say, God, with us. Lord, thank you that we can endure the hardship of the moment. God, with us. Thank you that we can celebrate on Christmas morning. Because God with us. Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate this Christmas. It's a new season. It's a new time. But we can celebrate because God is with us. Right now, no one moving in this room. Will you make the commitment this Christmas? That your motto will be, God with us. Are you willing to write it over the front door of your house? God with us. Are you willing to write it over the car that you ride? God with us. Are you willing to write it over the workplace? God with us. Are you willing to write it over wherever you shop, wherever you work, wherever you go? Willing to say, God with us. If that's you, in just a moment as we sing, you just come to this altar, get on your knees before God, and say, God, my motto, I want to be God with us. Maybe this morning you've never trusted Jesus. You've never been saved. You've never repented of your sin. There's going to be some pastors down front. Just come to one of these pastors and say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. Some of you need to come and be baptized and say, man, I, I need to get my baptism right. Come on, these pastors, let's talk about it. We want to say, some of you have been visiting with us, and this is where God wants your church home to be. Why don't you come to these pastors and say, we're coming to be a part of First Baptist. But for all of us, let's all say, God with us. Lord, I pray that our hearts are warmed up. I pray that our spirits are warmed up. I pray that our lives are warmed up. That we can all say across this room, God with us. In Christ's name.